Thank you for choosing to listen to this episode today. Before we begin, I just wanted to let you know that recently, Talks Talk changed its name to Talks Now. So during this episode, at multiple points, you'll hear us refer to Talks Talk and the website Talks Talk. But you can check out all that great content at Talks Now T O X N O W dot O R G and follow us at our Twitter feed at Talks Now. So same great people, same great content, just a slightly different name. Thanks for listening. We'll continue with the episode now. Hello, and welcome to another special edition of Tox Talk. This is Matt Zuckerman, Toxicology Fellow at the UMass Division of Toxicology. Um, and I'm joined here today with two very esteemed toxicologists on the UMass crew. This is Jennifer Carey, UMass Toxicology Fellow. And I'm at Border. Uh, great, yeah, head of the division of toxicology. Uh, sure. And uh, and uh, this is sort of an extra segment that we wanted to do um, uh, for a couple of reasons, so thank you for joining us. Just want to remind you, we're still looking for suggestions for our celebrity mystery interview, if you can see if you can guess that person that we might interview in the world of toxicology. And feel free to check us out on Facebook and Twitter at ToxTalk. And this is uh, sort of a response to an email we got from Megan uh, Sturdy from Western University in California, who wanted us to talk more about plants and plant toxins, and specifically castor beans. And luckily, I happen to know someone who's had a recent experience with a patient with exposure to uh, castor beans. Jen? Yes, in fact, we did. We had a patient uh, who decided to make a slurry of castor beans and ingest it in a suicide attempt. Okay. And so, so other than just being beans and vegetables and nobody likes them, are, what, why, why, would, why would that even work? So castor beans aren't actually even beans. They're seeds. It's a misnomer. So what's the difference between a bean and a seed? Yeah. I don't know. Why castor beans and not black beans or baked beans or refried beans? Castor beans uh, contain ricin, and it's thought that the ricin is actually uh, toxic and can cause pretty significant morbidity and mortality. How? It depends on a couple of things. You can be exposed to ricin through inhalation, ingestion, or in some cases uh, through injection. So the, the toxin ricin is two segments. It's an A chain and a B chain. The ricin gets uh, endocytosin to your cell and basically stops protein transcription. That leads to cell death. Uh, and, and that leads to person death. And that can lead to person death. Death, yes. Okay, all right. And I think every, every toxicologist has their favorite ricin case in, in history. Georgi Markov? Yes, perhaps. He, uh, he was a Bulgarian uh, journalist living in uh, London, I believe, in 1978. Somebody walked past him with an umbrella that was rigged up to inject a small bead of ricin-containing oil, I guess. Well, it was like a tiny... If you look at, if you look at like, the, the micro, microscopic image, it looks like a tiny golf ball that was they think was, with all the pits and everything, was coated with the toxin ricin. Yes, so that was injected into his leg, and he basically developed systemic toxicity and died a few days later, I believe it was. I've heard you talk about this case, Ed. Yeah, he was... It was identified... Uh, Putatively identified after the fact, he died in fairly short order. But he was transported to a uh, to a forensic unit for autopsy, and I believe that's where the uh, that's where the pellet was actually found. 
but the publications related to it essentially say there couldn't be something else that explains it other than this class of intoxicant, and then that's that's ricin, and then the other the other one, of course, is abrin, which is a related compound with a similar, if not identical, mechanism of action. Yeah, so I mean, essentially, it's it's an ideal poison in some respects because it stops all protein translation, and without proteins, very quickly the body dies, and so you get multi-organ failure and die. And it sounds like when he first came in, they didn't know what what the hell was going on with him, and it was probably a lot of quote unquote supportive care, and then later on they found they found the pellet and so it's ideal in terms of killing someone and at that point in time they didn't really have a great way of detecting it we had a patient who i could probably google georgie markov or you know it's it's the age of the internet so before you kill yourself you you want to find out kind of a, a sexy way of doing it and so um, i don't know if this is a sexy way of doing it what would be the sexiest way of doing it uh, I don't know, but I don't think that ingesting ricin and nausea, vomiting, diarrhea would be a good way to go out. Yeah, so that's that's our public service announcement. Um, ricin, while it might be um, effective, which we'll talk about, it is uh, certainly not a pleasant way to go. But luckily, in this case, you know, toxicologists were not allowed to do experiments on people, so we have to wait for them to do experiments on themselves. When when this patient came in, we got very excited because there was something to measure. So the patient that we saw, uh, basically, like Matt said, googled did a Google search looking for ways to kill himself. He found that ricin would be um, an ideal way for him, I guess. So the patient uh, purchased ricin seeds on the internet. He put them in a blender in order to release the ricin. Uh, unless you masticate um, the seeds in some way, the ricin um, won't be won't be toxic if you ingest it. Masticate being a $10 word for chew? Chew, yes. Okay. So he ingested the seeds, about 30 of them, as I said. And if you read reports, um, basically in the literature, it says that eight beans or seeds are, are toxic. Um, so he uh, surpassed this by about two and a half times. So the question is whether or not he, you know, are we talking about an ex-patient or are we talking about a patient that, that survived? And we also wanted to confirm, you know, that he had taken it and, and how much he had taken. So we took urine samples because you can actually detect ricinine in the urine. So ricin you can't detect, but ricinine is a marker. And so we sent his his urine to the lab to to detect this. And we did, in fact, find fairly high levels in this patient. Um, so we know that he ingested it. And the levels that we found were some of the highest levels were out there that were reported. Okay. And, and this was really neat. And actually, um, you presented this at the, at the National Conference in Puerto Rico, um, this and another case about sort of these super high ricinine levels in urine indicating a super high exposure. And I remember standing there at your poster and people would walk by and say, well, you know, he, he probably didn't get sick because did he actually get that much of a ricin dose or did he actually eat all those beans? And, and as so often in toxicology, we often say, well, nothing really happened because they probably didn't take it. And then you actually had it measured, though. You were able to measure the ricinine, which is a marker of exposure, and to confirm that, yes, indeed, he took a, a, a potentially lethal dose. And actually, this particular patient, of course, came in with the baggie of remaining uh, castor beans, um, which you can get at any garden supply store. It's not controlled. It's not anthrax. And so, uh, yeah, so he took a huge amount and um, and then what happened? He went to the hospital. His parents brought him in. He had some nausea and some vomiting, um, some abdominal upset. But he actually recovered uh, and never never got very sick. And what did we do? And and he recovered pretty quickly too. Yeah, very quickly. He recovered pretty quick. He was uh, better in just a couple of days. Okay, cool. And so I think 
And so I think when we look at this, we say, okay, ricin is horribly lethal toxin, mm-hmm. definitely works against the, um, the cells in our bodies, and has no known antidote or cure, and so should kill you. And so um, the really the question is, why did Georgi Markov just die horribly, and why did this guy, and other people in the literature, we'll, we'll put links to some of these articles about ricin exposure, why did these other people live? Well, I think it's a pretty pretty telling statement for you know, like the pharmacologic fact that rate of administration matters. You can you can eat this stuff and get GI upset probably because of local toxicity, but there may be a factor. It may be autolyzed in the gut, it may be hydrolyzed by you know, like whatever sort of peptidases that it comes across to it in an active form, which we can then you know, like absorb and then subsequently measure. But you know, I think Markov had two things uh, going against him. The first was that it was, a, for all practical purposes, a parenteral administration. And the second is that for a lot of biological toxins, turning them into a militarized version actually is not as easy a task as it seems. And I know there are a bunch of people at the CDC who will say, oh, shh, don't tell anyone that if you eat it, you won't die. But, you know, it's, it's on Wikipedia, for gosh sakes. And I think Georgi Markov just had the unfortunate occurrence of running afoul of the KGB, who'd spent an awful lot of time and effort and probably research rubles uh, into producing a, a lethal version of the drug. No, I think that's that's true. And that's so we always talk about Paracelsius and, you know, it's the dose that makes the poison. I also think it's the route that makes the poison. And so it's certainly the route that helps the poison, certainly the route that helps the poison. And that happens all the time. Uh, acrylamide is is deadly poisonous in its uh, monomer form. Well, it's a neurotoxin. And then when it's polymerized, you know, it's it's pretty safe. There's a lot of toxins in plastics that would be dangerous if they were released that are safe. There are a lot of toxins that um, you can um, inject and die and get exposed to and be fine. And so one of the other reasons why we're bringing this up, aside from our listener letter, is in the news recently, it turns out that somebody from uh, Tennessee, possibly Tennessee, there's a, two suspects. Mississippi. Miss, no, I don't. Oh, oh sorry. It was mailed from, I'm from Mississippi. It's all over my friend's Facebook accounts. Okay, all right. So that Mississippi. Boy, that boy's from Mississippi. Okay. And so there were, there were several letters, one of them mailed to uh, President Obama, one of them mailed to a senator and to a judge, which they detected um, ricin on. And everything involving ricin is always a little bit odd. The patient we saw, a little bit odd. The Georgie Markov umbrella assassination, odd. In this case, they're the original suspect, um, because the letters contain some catchphrases from someone. The original suspect that was theorized to have sent the letters is an Elvis impersonator and and apparently says, well, why would I put my catchphrases in these potentially poisonous letters, which you know will be investigated by Secret Service? So he's accusing somebody else that he's in a feud with, and it turns out the feud is related to publishing a book about trading body parts and also a fake Mensa membership. Um, Adab, I may need to ask you about your Mensa certificate and if that's valid or not, but and it just gets really bizarre. And even now, there's a flame war on Twitter between Leon Gussow from uh, Poison Review, which I highly recommend checking out, and, and Jeff Lapointe, as to whether or not this is actually a big deal or poisonous. Yeah, so, so let, me, let me ask you guys, if you got a letter with ricin, would you be scared? I think I'd be scared, but I don't know if I'd be well-founded in being scared. I don't know who would want to send me a ricin-containing letter. Oh, you haven't checked your mail today. No, I haven't. <laughs> okay. Do you have letters here? Well, so, no, I have different letters. So here's the thing. We so have right. envelopes. So here's the thing. So, right. so, what we, so essentially, if you spread ricin on your skin, there's not going to be a lot of dermal absorption. And even with these, this ricin, it turns out that it was, quote-unquote, a crude mixture of ricin, which essentially sounds like ground-up castor beans. We keep talking about ricin, but it really does yeah. sound like ground-up castor beans. So when they search the guy's house, they're literally looking for a blender with ground-up castor beans in it. 
And so I have some some letters here for you that let's say, you know, uh, Ed, that, that Jen had sent you um, poisonous mail, and uh, for exp- expediency's sake, I've labeled the poison in them. Which ones would you be okay opening and not opening? Uh, anthrax. Depends on the anthrax. Elemental mercury, I'm okay with that. Ricin, uh, I might be okay with that. Sarin, I think I'd probably avoid sarin. Um, can't read this one. Oh, that's palytoxin. Oh, palytoxin. Hmm. That's kind of a weird one. Yeah. No. Dimethylmercury. Hmm. I used to work with dimethylmercury outside the fume hood without gloves on. So, I'd, you know, just because I'm a chemist, I'd probably do that, but I don't recommend that anybody else do it. <laughs> right. And so now, talking... now everyone's looking at me. You did what? It's like, now you know what's wrong with me. Right. And so talking about some of these, so Jen, elemental mercury, are you scared of touching or opening or not? Um, only if it's on my pillow. Only if it's on, right, yes. Yeah, that just sounds, okay, all right. Um, uh, That sounds like a sexy toxin. We've now found our sexy toxin. But no, um, so elemental mercury, uh, yes or no? (laughs) We'll try that again. (laughs) We should should say that one of the reasons why we're laughing is is there's been also a reported case of someone playing with elemental mercury and then playing with it in their house, and I think it got on their bed and pillow. And it's super cool stuff if you ever see it. Liquid, liquid metal. I've got some in my thermostat. But so elemental mercury, yes or no? Yes. Okay. So, and, and why is that? Why would you touch that? Um, because I think it's cool. And? And it's only toxic if you inhale large quantities of it. Right. And so essentially people spill it, they vacuum it, or they boil it, and then they inhale it, it, aerosolize it. Okay, what about dimethylmercury? I'd stay away from it. I'd kind of have all the dimethylmercury. Why? It's still mercury. (laughs) It's a little more toxic. Why? It can kill people. Why? Well, but think about it. I mean, it's a relatively volatile compound. I mean, it's an organified mercury compound. And yeah, I just don't know that... Like anything that had been sealed up, delivered, and mailed would have anything left in it at all. That's a good point. I think I think um, I would probably stay away from it mainly because there was that case of the researcher who um, supposedly spilled uh, dimethylmercury on her hand, and because it's an organic mercury, it can cross the skin and be absorbed, and then ended up dying from mercury poisoning. There are some arguments over the dose in that particular case and whether or not um, uh, there was some intentional versus unintentional exposure there. But I, as a nervous Nelly, would stay away from it. Um, palytoxin is kind of this weird marine toxin that there's been some sick people who have gotten it from their coral who when they inhale it, um, if they're cleaning with like boiling water, when they inhale it, they get sick. There was somebody who was touching it and actually started to get um, uh, paresthesias and some uh, numbness around her mouth. And uh, I certainly wouldn't want to, to touch it because it is, it is absorbable through the skin. Anthrax. Anthrax, honestly, it looks like a powder and you take Cipro, at least the anthrax that was going around, and you're fine. So it seems like with a lot of these letter scares, they can cause a lot of scare, but anyone who knows about the nature of the poison or the toxin understands that it might not be the best bioweapon. And then, uh, let's see, what else did we have in there? Oh, wait. I'm going to stay away from sarin. So, I mean, realistically, sarin, you might need a box. Um, but like volatilized sarin, bad stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's, you know, like we're talking about dose and route of delivery. Like if you have, you know, like if you have a letter, I just don't know that. You know, like getting back to dimethylmercury, even if it doesn't all volatilize away, even if it's still you know, like embedded in the, you know, like in the paper, I just don't know that you'd get enough contact from the time frame that you're handling something to read down to, uh-huh, you just got dimethylmercury to actually get a dose delivered to you. I'm, I'm just not convinced. Okay. And so if anyone out there has information on the ricin letters, send them to talkstalk at talkstalk.org or contact us 
Yeah, I just I just think it's it's a truly bizarre case involving the president, uh, members of Congress, Elvis impersonators, body part trading, and it's it's talks uh, in the news. Um, well, it's also Mississippi in the news, and you know, having grown up in the state of Mississippi, now y'all kind of know what it's like to live there. Yeah, I, I, well, I'm surprised they didn't send meth. I guess it's another <laughs> argument against Saturday delivery. So, uh, Jen, anything to say about the poison letters? Yeah, one last thing, Matt. There, you said earlier that there's no antidote to ricin, but there's actually a group in the UK, uh, Dr. Holly, who has been working on both anti-venom and antitoxin for ricin. Um, they've had some success in animal models, um, and they're kind of working on working on both anti-venom and antitoxin in humans. Okay. Wow. So that's really fantastic. That's cool. Um, so should anyone receive a ricin letter, uh, maybe, well, don't, don't, I guess the one thing is don't eat it and don't inject it if you do get a ricin letter and then maybe contact this group about that antitoxin and then contact us because yeah, the be, CDC, yeah, the, CDC the public health, the FBI, those might be important also. But I want to thank you both for joining me here today. I want to thank uh, listener Megan Sturdy for that excellent suggestion to talk about castor beans and, and talk about some of the things in the news. And uh, we'll see what ends up happening with this uh, case. Um, and that's another special edition of Talkstalk. Megan's not a terrorist, is she? I don't know. Actually, Megan did send the letter before, before this all happened. So, Megan, I don't know. You might be getting a call from the FBI. Sorry. Yeah, you have been coughing a lot lately, and there's some bloody sputum I've noticed <laughs> during this segment. Nobody wants to hear about my bloody sputum. <laughs> and that's another edition of Talkstalk. Talkstalk is a production of the Division of Toxicology and the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Massachusetts School of Medicine. I'm Matt Zuckerman, signing off. Mm-hmm.